What's up, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of the Professional Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Gunter, and we folks have got another great episode. We are joined by Dr. Sherry Ma, a highly regarded sleep specialist and consultant. Uh, She's currently a research fellow at the University of California, San Francisco Human Performance Center, as well as the UCSF School of Medicine. Uh, She is a sleep expert, and why she's on the show today is she focuses primarily on the impact of sleep on mental and physical performance in elite athletes. She's, (laughs) accordingly so, has worked with some really, really uh, impressive clients. Uh, She's a consultant to the Nike Performance Council as a sleep expert there. Uh, She's worked with Gatorade, ESPN, did a really interesting study over the course of three seasons about how uh, sleep and travel schedule impacts performance in the NBA. So make sure to listen up for more on that, all you gamblers out there. Uh, She consults with professional teams in the NBA, NFL, NHL, MLB on performance and recovery strategies. Uh, She also works with individual athletes as well. So you may have seen some of the work that she's done published in other publications uh, notably with like Andre Iguodala talking about the impact that they had when she worked with the Golden State Warriors during their championship runs. But yeah, I mean, you name the team, you name the, the league. It feels like she's, she's worked with someone there or had some sort of impact. Uh, she's been featured in ESPN, New York Times, Time, Wall Street Journal, among many, many others. So we're really, really fortunate that she was willing to join the show today. So shout out to our good friends, Glenn and Kayana, who made that introduction. We appreciate you, power listeners. Um, On today's show, she talks about her work with professional athletes and uh, the larger organizations on helping them put together strategies to help uh, optimize performance. Uh, We talk a little bit about the positive benefits of sleep on athletic performance. Often we focus on the detriment of lack of sleep. This is kind of taking uh, the other perspective. Uh, She'll share some tips and tactics that we, the uh, non-professional athletes, can leverage at home to get a better night's sleep. And I think she also clarifies some some misconceptions that people pretty have. Uh, I would say maybe most importantly about this idea of getting caught on missed sleep and what is the appropriate way to do that. So it was a really interesting conversation. she has such such a unique point of view, uh, given the nature of the work that she does, and it's so critical. I feel like the more guests we talk to, sleep keeps coming up as being the most critical thing that you should be paying attention to. So with that, uh, you know, as always, I say it every week, thank you to all those who listen and to those who continue to reach out. Uh, we really appreciate it. Love that, love that people are uh, enjoying the show. Uh, if you'd be so kind, also leave a rating and a review. If you're leaving an Apple, please leave one there. It definitely helps. Um, also, if you want to follow along, feel free to follow us at the underscore professional athlete. Uh, we'll keep you updated on the show. We'll document the training of myself. I'm going to try and sneak some pics in on my wife. So stay tuned. Um, but other than that, Man, let's get this one started. This one's too good for me to be killing airtime. So without further ado, please welcome Dr. Sherry Ma. I gotta get up. I got too much to do. Yeah, I gotta get going. I gotta talk to you. It's time to start. 
Dr. Sherry Ma, thank you very much for joining the show. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, we were catching up a little bit before we started. Uh, life is a little different on the West Coast right now. Beyond it is. Just, yeah. the, the California and the Bay Area has been pit, hit pretty hard the last month, dealing with fires and poor air and lightning storms and apocalyptic orange skies in addition to COVID. But we're all hanging in there and taking it day by day. All, all of which I'm sure is conducive to a good night of sleep. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, hey, so I, I am so fascinated by the work that you do. And uh, for me personally, sleep has been become a really big priority. I would say maybe like the last five or six years. Um, you know, we were talking, I've got three kids, which uh, just tiny little sleep disruptors is really what they are. But uh, I started to notice, um, gosh, I guess it was maybe like 27, 28. Um, I was stealing time away from sleep to kind of make time for the other things in my life that I thought were important, getting up early to work out, getting to work before everyone else, um, burning the midnight oil. And as I did that, like a lot of these cracks kind of began to show in my personal life, my physical and mental well-being. So uh, I'm just so fascinated in the in the area of sleep. It's something that I've I've tried to educate myself on as best as I can. What interests me about what you're doing is that it seems that you work primarily with elite athletes. That's could, correct. Yeah. Could, would you mind talking a little bit about, uh, I guess, one, you know, how did you find yourself being drawn to the field of sleep? Uh, but then beyond that, like, how did you actually, you know, begin working with athletes? So I came into the field of sleep medicine about 18 years ago. I was uh, a young Stanford undergrad and met Dr. William DeMent. So he's considered the father of modern sleep medicine. The field mm. is quite young. It's only about 50, 60 years old. And he started a lot of the field from his early work back in the 1950s, 60s. Uh, a lot of it initially at Stanford too. Um, and I met him and I just was really fascinated with what he was doing. And, and the field was so young. There's still a lot of questions that are unanswered. You know, why do we even sleep? Right. Uh, it's still, still quite a mystery. We understand a little bit, obviously, on, on what happened when we don't sleep and some of those effects. But um, I thought it was just really fascinating because we all experience this process every single night that's been mm. so critical and ingrained in our DNA for eons. Um, but it's still so young and there's still more for us to understand about how this affects our well-being, our functioning. And most of the field has initially been focused on the negative effects of mm. insufficient sleep and when we don't get enough sleep on a regular basis. But what I started to be fascinated with um, as an undergrad and then as as my graduate work um, at Stanford was looking at, well, what's the other half of the story of how do we enhance sleep and recovery and how can we positively benefit daytime functioning? And then ultimately for the athletes that I study is how do we positively benefit their physiology and then their physical performance? Yeah. And I had access to wonderful athletes, top of um, the collegiate athletes at Stanford, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, my aha moment was when we weren't looking at athletes and we're looking at how do you pay back accumulated sleep debt in sleep deprived undergraduates. And if we can pay back some of that sleep debt, you know, we started to see cognitive benefits, improved reaction time, improved levels of uh, fatigue. And some swimmers were in that study and, you know, said, hey, 
I just wanted to let you know, I set a couple of personal records on my last swim meet. And so that's when the light bulb went off in my head that said, you know, this would be uh, really interesting specifically to study in athletes, because obviously yeah. athletes are a special demographic motivated by performance. They care about um, their their physical performance outputs. And so that's when I fast forwarded to my master's year and then stayed seven years to look at additional sports at Stanford from swimmers to football players to um, the rest of a lot of the varsity teams and um, really started to examine how we pay back accumulated sleep debt. Now, the basketball team, we mm. started to see performance improvements, 9% improvement in free throw shooting, 9% improvement in, in three-point shots, faster sprint times, faster reaction times. And obviously for these athletes, 1% is a huge gain. So, oh, yeah. So this was something that I think was um, you know, interesting because we were actually quantifying it. Uh, for the first time, right? It's not too hard to understand that maybe, you know, you, you improve some of your sleep and your recovery that you might see some positive benefits, but this was at least some of the initial quantification of what does it mean specifically for an athlete population on their reaction time? What does it mean to affect their sprint time if we do this over multiple weeks? So that was sort of 50% of my time for those seven years. And then mm -hmm. I started to look at the pro sports and I was like, why are not a lot of these teams leveraging what we understand as basic fundamentals of sleep science because mm -hmm. I would go to teams and ask, why do you travel uh, you know, to an NFL team like at 2 p.m. every Friday, regardless if you're going to the West Coast or East Coast. Hmm. Um, and I encountered that very regularly that a lot of these pro athletes and teams just didn't have a lot of uh, focus on sleep or, or specifically their travel strategies. And I think it just, you know, it stems from the fact that the sleep science is, is much, um, it's much younger than say nutrition or say the physical training and the, the strength and conditioning field that has been, you know, implemented a little bit more into the sports, um, performance and sports science programs at the, at the top of the level. And sleep is just sort of that the newcomer at this point. And so that was really what drew me to also start to work with different teams. So at this point, I do work with teams in the NBA, NFL, NHL, Major League Baseball to really try to apply the science and try to make changes into a far from ideal travel schedule. But how can we make strategies before they fly, when they fly, and then when they get off the plane to try and um, uh, minimize jet lag and try to make um, athletes um, have scenarios in which they can recover as best as possible given these uh, um, imperfect schedules? Yeah. So, okay. So I, one of the things that I think is really interesting to hear is the fact that sports teams weren't taking this into consideration. And, and how recent was this that you started like reaching out to them to help in that capacity? This is around 2007, 2008. Oh, wow. So I've been at this obviously for a number of years, but um, it's still at that time was still astounding to me that obviously there's so much invested in a lot of these individual athletes and obviously teams as a oh, whole yeah. to perform. And obviously in some leagues, you only have a, a limited number of games in a season, even when you have, you know, MLB with, you know, games every other day and not more frequently than that still, there's a lot that rides on these games and to not factor in strategies to improve um, 
recovery on the road or minimize jet lag when you're crossing the country multiple times, sometimes in a given week was kind of astounding to me. And so I recognize that there was a need that should there be teams that were interested in the research and and wanting to improve upon their current protocols and, and practices, that this would be a really unique opportunity because, again, the motivation for performance is high at this level. And, um, and I really saw that a lot of athletes could probably benefit from it just seeing how sleep deprived my collegiate athletes were and the performance yeah. benefit that they saw. So you just kind of take that one step higher and imagine that this is obviously something that could be quite beneficial for not just the individual athletes, but organizations as a whole that were uh, forward enough thinking to want to embrace some of these practices. So you start from the ground, but, you know, and you see a spectrum of some organizations that want to do uh, a couple of things and then others that want to do everything and everything because they recognize that this might be a, an untapped area of competitive advantage. So it's been a fun process and um, and I think we still have a ways to go. And it, like I mentioned, I've been at this now for a number of years, but I would still say that there's uh, a much more that we need to do to try and make sure that this is also important equally to that of the physical training and also the nutrition as well. Yeah. And I mean, you, you said something even at the beginning of this podcast, which I still find so astounding, the fact that we just don't even understand why we sleep. Can you talk about this? To your point, you said, look, this is something that we all do every night. It should represent roughly like a third of our day. But the fact that we still don't understand from like a scientific perspective, like why we sleep, like, I guess, maybe can you expand a little bit about what you mean by that? Sure. No, I mean, exactly. As I mentioned, you know, we have, have we have researched and studied sleep and the effects of being sleep deprived and the effects right. of, of having insufficient sleep. So less than your body requires every day. And what kind of effects does that have cognitively or physically or physiologically? In our case, I study athletes. So how does that affect physical performance? But mm -hmm. um, we, we still, you know, are trying to elucidate more about this really fascinating process and, you know, breaking down even the stages of sleep. You have uh, non-rapid eye movement sleep and then you also have the deeper sleep uh, and then also you have the rapid eye movement sleep when we dream mm -hmm. and those different stages are are critical for different aspects of recovery from muscle recovery to memory consolidation but we're still trying to untangle some of um, you know some of these components and and how that affects us from an acute standpoint so how does that affect us say the next day but also long term how does you know chronic sleep deprivation over mm -hmm. many years to decades how does that also impact impact, um, your health risks, your, um, your performance errors and, and how's that going to play into what that looks like, uh, down the road. So we still have a ways to go. I just, I find it really interesting because it is something that we know is so crucial and foundational to not just our daytime functioning, but for us to be at our best every day. And it's unfortunately yeah. one that we all, as you mentioned, sacrifice and overlook. And it's one of the first things that, you know, we, we cut off. Um, and, and when our schedules get really busy, that is the one thing that we tend to sacrifice, right? But yet yeah. we, we all, I'm sure intuitively know what a good night's sleep has been and meant and how we feel and function during that versus when we've had insufficient sleep or a really rough night of sleep, mm -hmm. uh, getting only a couple of hours of rest. But yet it is the one thing that really can provide such a strong foundation for us to be at our best every day. 
Well, and it's so interesting too, like you said, it, it sounds like what we've been able to do fairly effectively is measure the symptoms that occur when we don't get enough sleep, right? We, we were able to hone in on that. But the fact that like there's this just broad horizon of, of areas still to kind of be explained and discovered, I also think is so fascinating. Um, but one thing that you mentioned at the beginning, so, you know, a lot of the folks who listen to the show still are um, athletically inclined or they have something that they're pursuing. You mentioned a couple percentages that I thought were really interesting about the the positive impact. And actually, you, you said something specifically, um, payback sleep debt, right? That was kind of like the, the, the focus when you were at Stanford um, and like kind of the positive benefit that had on everything from like free throws uh, to, you know, people breaking PRs and swimming. What, what specifically was the team trying to achieve in terms of like paying back sleep debt? What, what does that mean? Sure. So to step back for a second to define what sleep debt is, right? Your body needs a certain amount of sleep every single night, which we call your individual sleep requirement. And Mm. that can vary, but the minimum amount that's recommended for every healthy adult is seven hours of sleep a night. That's the minimum yeah. threshold. But honestly, I feel terrible on seven hours of sleep. I much more need, you know, eight to nine hours. So there is individual differences. You do need to find how much sleep you feel refreshed and rejuvenated th- and function well throughout the day. Now, when you don't meet that requirement every night, so say you're only getting five hours of sleep a night, yeah. then you build up a debt like a credit card conceptually, right? So if you go Monday to Friday, a normal work week, and you've only gotten five hours of sleep, but say you needed that seven hours, then you're in debt two hours every day. So at the end of the Mm. week, conceptually, the idea is you build up 10 hours of sleep debt, right? Then it comes to the weekend, and a lot of people will sleep in, get an extra hour or two, you'll feel better, and you'll feel more refreshed. But in this bigger picture, say, instead of that seven hours on that Saturday, you slept maybe nine hours instead. Mm. And so you would have, you'll feel more refreshed on those nine hours, but in that bigger picture, you've only paid back two hours of that debt when you had mm. 10 hours accumulated prior. Does that make sense? So it does. That's a concept of accumulated sleep that most of us probably do carry around some amount. How much can vary between individual to individual? And a question that comes up a lot as well, maybe Sherry, do I have like thousands of hours of debt builds up since I've been not sleeping well, you know, since I was 20 or so? Um, mm-hmm. And that's not, you know, I think we're still trying to figure out, you know, how how much sleep that you can really pay back. And we do think that in some of our shorter studies, we can pay back debt that you've accumulated in the last week or the last couple of months or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's questionable. Uh, I think it's still be determined whether you can pay back some of the longer chronic sleep debt that's been potentially built up just that's because exactly we know that there's, right, there's health yeah. consequences, right? If you've been sleeping five hours a night for the past three decades, then, um, some of those health consequences, that, um, that are often, um, linked may be harder to reverse at that point. But at least some of what we focused on is at least in the short term, can we reduce some of that? accumulated debt. And we do think that you can do in the short term. So that's what I focus on in the duration of anywhere from a couple of days to mm. uh, some of my longer studies have looked at paying back that sleep debt in, in athletes for five to seven weeks. And I think that's a really an important point is that a lot of us, I think, think, um, you know, the general public thinks that you should sleep in and get pay back your, your debt in a, a weekend of rest. So one night yeah. or a Saturday and a Sunday, and you'll feel better. But I think what uh, is like the really important take home point is that what we see is that that you might see some improvement and you, you'll feel a little bit more refreshed, but 
oftentimes to make a significant dent in that sleep debt will probably take longer than that one mm. weekend of quality rest. So I'm encouraging a lot of my athletes, you know, if you have a vacation period, um, even if it's like one week, two weeks would probably be the biggest bang for your buck to really try and extend that sleep duration and, and to do so um, gradually. So you're not trying to go from six hours suddenly to 10 hours, but uh, oh, okay. First, you want to get adequate sleep, even reaching that seven hour threshold. And it is all about going small steps in the right direction. But if you can extend your sleep for, you know, even that one week or two week period, that's probably going to be more beneficial than just trying to do it just for that one night or a one weekend of quality rest. See, that helps because I, I've heard said before, you know, you can't pay back your sleep debt, which has always been a little confusing to me. Because then kind of to your point, the folks were like, well, does that mean I'm just going to forever carry around thousands of hours of sleep debt? Um, so that's a little encouraging that over time through good habits, you can you can start to pay a lot of that back. Um, so I guess th there is some benefit then to let's say you're a new parent, just hypothetically, and you have had a terrible week of sleep. It is beneficial to where you can start to like chip away at some of that debt. So if there, you are able to on a Saturday morning, sleep in an extra two hours, like absolutely take advantage of that. Is that correct? I, I would encourage that. I think that there's obviously some balance to it. You don't want to shift your whole sleep and wake schedule drastically. Ah. So you don't want to wake up, you know, three hours later than you typically would because you can also experience what we call social jet lag. Yeah. So you, we've all experienced the jet lag where you get on an airplane, you go to another time zone and then you feel terrible because you've had to shift your body clock as a mm -hmm. result and takes multiple days. But you yep. can also do that to yourself, just staying at home <laughs> and in your own in your own time zone. And because oftentimes on Fridays or Saturdays, folks will stay up later because they want to, you know, socialize and do other things and then sleep in okay. later. And that's actually having the exact same effect and it's called social jet lag. So it's within reason. I do think that, yes, if you've been a sleep deprived parent for the last five days and you have an opportunity on the Saturday to try and get an extra hour and, and get say maybe seven hours to that eight hours, I do think that would definitely be beneficial. The other yeah. thing you can do is also leverage the power naps. Power naps are fantastic and you want to keep them ah, to okay. mm -hmm, 20 to 30 minutes is my recommendation. Um, the 20 to 30 minute power nap, if timed correctly in the like afternoon period after lunch mm -hmm. to the afternoon is when you have this drop in your circadian rhythm. So you're more likely to fall asleep uh, and that will give you a boost in energy and performance for about a couple of hours, some somewhere around mm. two to three hours. But if you keep it short, then it keeps you in lighter stages of sleep. And so when you wake up, you should still be able to go about your day and function um, and, and have that benefit from the nap. If you've ever taken a longer nap where it's 45 minutes, an hour, two hours, and you Feels woke horrible. up, yeah, you've woken up yes. more groggy and sluggish. So that's called sleep inertia, where it's that grogginess ah. feeling. And the reason why is because you're waking up from deeper stages of sleep. And that also not only because you feel more groggy when you wake up uh, from those deeper stages of sleep, but it can also prevent you from going to sleep later in the nighttime and make it more challenging because yeah. your drive to sleep is not as high. So that's why you mm. keep it in the shorter 20 to 30 minutes, prevent yourself from going into those deeper stages, and then you'll have that benefit. Now, if you're a real sleep deprived parent... <laughs> Then the the magic the magic trip on top of just the power nap is to take the caffeine nap. 
Okay, so I'm so glad you brought this up. I was just about to ask you, and let me also say, I'm sure listeners were like, Ken, that is probably the worst question you've ever asked. Of course, get the extra hour of sleep. But I'm glad I did because now we're talking about the social jet lag, which I think is really important. But yes, please talk about the caffeine nap because uh, I was actually going to ask you about this. The caffeine nap, also known as the nappuccino, the caffeine <laughs> nap, uh, you name it. Uh, it has been shown. So um, what you do is you take a cup of coffee or some caffeine, uh, mm-hmm. you know, drink it. Usually caffeine takes about 15 minutes to kick in. Now, if you are so sleep deprived that you can fall asleep within five to 10 minutes, that's actually not a great sign. That means you actually have accumulated sleep debt because it really should take you around 10 to 20 minutes to fall asleep on average. But oh, a lot okay. of people just you know, think that they should pass out as fast as possible. If you can, that's actually an indication that maybe you're not getting enough sleep, but this is why the caffeine act can be helpful for you. So you take the caffeine, you go take a 20 minute power nap. And when, then when you wake up, then bam, both the caffeine and the nap will have kicked in. Um, and that has been shown in some studies to be um, more efficacious than just the nap alone or just the caffeine alone. Yeah. Oh, I love it. You just combined two of my favorite things napping and caffeine. Uh, perfect. Okay. That, that's actually really helpful. So now I've, I'm cheating here because I, I know that you've done some really awesome work uh, around NBA schedules. But what I'm wondering too is, did you first start working at the organizational level, helping the professional sporting teams making better decisions around scheduling, travel, preparation? Um, or did you actually start working with the individual athletes themselves? And I guess, may, or, you know, I guess there's also an option where the answer is both. Originally, yeah, originally it was organizations that were approaching me to try Hmm. and take a holistic approach of how to improve sleep and recovery and obviously also travel and schedules for the organization. But obviously within that is nestled individual work with with athletes, because at the end of the day, a lot of it comes down to individual and customized plans. And not every like the rookie is different than the veteran. Obviously, there's different lifestyle factors. And so everyone is at a different place in terms of also their approaches to sleep. So I do individual work with with athletes, but initially was approached by teams uh, Hmm. to, to assist with things like their travel schedules. Um, and at this point I do both. So I work with teams and then athletes within those organizations and then individual athletes as well. that are just interested in trying to optimize their own performance. Well, and you mentioned this earlier. I mean, the amount of money that these organizations spend on these players, the fact that sleep was overlooked and I mean, granted it's, it's overlooked across the entirety of society. So not to like paint these sports organizations in a bad light, but Yeah, it's like they're investing so much money in their physical well-being. The fact that it was not being taken into consideration, like how do we make sure these guys are getting optimal sleep is really kind of astounding. Um, And I guess, you know, what finally drove that awakening, so to speak, within professional sports organizations? Was it the ability uh, for your team to point to actually not just like the detriment of lack of sleep, but actually the, the enhancement that you can get from optimal sleep in terms of sports performance? Was that one of kind of like the leading drivers? I think there's been a gradual shift over at least what Mm. I've seen in the last 
what's that over 10 plus years or so. Um, you know, I think that there's been more research and, and studies that have come out and sleep and specifically an athlete population that's helped drive those conversations and have, um, good, good, good studies that can support the evidence for what those effects are in terms of jet lag or sleep deprivation effects in athlete populations. So I think that definitely helped in the conversation. I think there's also been an, an the general, the general public is more aware and educated about sleep, still ways yeah. to go. But I think that there's a more, there's higher, there's more recognition that it's a fundamental component of mental health and um, not just the exercise nutrition component, but there's that pillar also of healthy sleep. Um, and I've seen that as well as kind of the boom of sleep wearable technology, I think has helped in that conversation, mm. especially with pro sport too, which have obviously utilized technology um, in certain organizations to help monitor and track and be able to quantify some of these um, metrics in terms of customizing protocols for their athletes. And then I think there's also been a contribution of the media. Um, there's been more coverage, I think, both with the general population and then also sports specific coverage that have helped some of these conversations. And you've mentioned one of the projects that I was involved in with ESPN and the Schedule Alert project. And we hope yeah. that that might have helped bring to light um, some of the other factors beyond the strength of team um, that revolve specifically around scheduling, the density of games, where those games are being played that can potentially affect game outcomes or have some contributing factor into how these teams will play. Um, and you know, I wish accuracy. I wish I would have known about this because there's a lot of sports bets that I would love to have back now, having been aware of your your research. Because that, you, that you was had one application of it. I mean, <laughs> in the spirit of the project, we were just trying to highlight, <laughs> hey, that there, there's these fatigue-related, travel-related factors that yeah. can potentially put certain games at risk of losses. Um, and predicting those out at the beginning of the season and allowing readers and viewers to follow along and see how accurate or how accurate we were. And we ended up coming, we did this for three seasons from 2016 through 2019. And mm -hmm. the highest risk games um, over those three seasons were accurate on a win loss of um, 76 to about seven to about 86%. And again, a lot of factors go into that. Strength of team obviously factors into that, but we, in the spirit of the project, didn't consider that in the prediction. So, um, oh, you know, you again, didn't. that that was not considered. The prediction was solely yes, based the on prediction wow. was solely based on the travel factors and fatigue factors. It did not incorporate strength of team. We recognize and acknowledge that that very much will influence game outcomes. But in the spirit of the project, we said strictly based on these factors of scheduling where we will still publish out the top X wow. many games. Sometimes it was like 40s and the highest risk ones were, you know, anywhere from, you know, seven to 17 or so, and then allow people to follow that. And, and again, it, you know, we hope that this at least highlighted that there's these other additional factors that we don't often think about. We often think about just the strength of team of, team a versus team b um, right. and how that's going to play out but there's other factors that hopefully um now will be at least considered in in how the schedule is devised and also how yeah. teams hopefully approach them so we like to say that there's a combination of these factors that i think teams have started to recognize um, the importance of it and and help driving individual organizations and and leads as a whole to also um recognize that these are 
things to consider and when they devise how the the season will look and how they that they will travel with teams to various locations. Yeah, well, so we had Eric Hosmer uh, on the show. Guy, I mean, I go episode ten, and he's the first baseman for the Padres, and that's one of the things we were talking about is just how insane the major league baseball schedule is and these crazy road trips. And it's funny at at face value, just looking at the time of game, the location, like it looks, it doesn't look great. But then when you get to hear from their perspective, what it actually means in terms of travel, you know, they might wrap up a game at nine or 10, then they go to the locker room, they do all their press. And then after all that, they still have to make their way to the airport. They have to board a plane. They fly at night. They have to land. It's just, it's insane. And I, I actually, it makes you wonder kind of to your point, like exactly what sort of product are they capable of putting on the field? You know, when you're making them fight this uphill battle. <laughs> yeah. And you bring up the point too of MLB. So that each league schedule is really fascinating to me. And that is um, part of, you know, how I look at how these teams will travel, but you know, the NBA schedule looks very different than MLB versus the mm. NFL who's playing one game a week. Right. MLB right. schedule is really insane where they have very few off days between basically playing a game every other day of the week. The advantage of MLB is that they often have several games in one location So there is some advantage of that versus I would say when you look at the NBA schedule, this year is obviously atypical, which we Mm -hmm. should get into in a second. But in the normal NBA schedule, they're zipping across the country to different cities almost every other day. Uh, And and the point being of this season, I think is really fascinating because with the NBA bubble, there's no travel this year. There's the travel. There's no travel fatigue. There's more consistency in their sleep environments. There's more consistency in their regular day to day. There's less of the jet lag. And there has been conversation around how that's affected um, most often in a positive light, how that's provided a, 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 you know, a more energized group of athletes and some really um, amazing performances on the court. And, you know, Mm. does, does the travel and factor, you know, contribute to that or the lack of it this season? Obviously, again, this is a very atypical season. And a lot of other factors and stressors at play too, but um, has been a topic of conversation within the league. Yeah. So from your perspective, and I guess in the conversations that you're having, is the expectation that it's it's generally probably improved performance? And I guess, is there any preliminary data or feedback that would suggest that's accurate? So that's the that's the conversation. I think that's ongoing, yeah. at least with particularly the NBA bubble. Um, I haven't seen any published data <laughs> around it so far, but that would be very fascinating to look at. Um, I think it's just a conversation in terms of anecdotally what um, yeah. teams and organizations and staff are thinking about the recovery and the performance of their players and what we see, obviously, as a product on on the court. And to your point, there's there's no shortage of additional stressors that could be impacting performance as well this season for those guys. So exactly, a lot a lot to take into consideration. Uh, so one of the things that I, I would love to to learn a little bit about is how you actually work with these individual athletes. Um, you know, like when you go to work with a client, I guess what is the process uh, that you go through in terms of helping them? Like maybe I guess I imagine there's some sort of assessment phase. Uh, and then, you know, what kind of comes after that to help them hopefully improve their, their sleep? <laughs> yeah, sure. The, I think it depends on the athlete. Uh, I would say mm. a lot of athletes start at very different places. Some athletes 
who come to me and our veteran athletes have never looked at their sleep before. So we're really starting at the basics um, and ground zero of what they understand about sleep. You know, what, what do they do and how do they approach their sleep? If there is even any approach to their sleep, what are some of the common um, challenges they experience? Because again, an MLB player playing until, you know, extra innings looks very different than say an NFL player playing mm-hmm. one game a week and having, you know, a much earlier end time. Um, um, you know, are do they have other lifestyle factors? Are they married with kids? Looks very different than uh, you know a single athlete. Um, yeah. You know, and and what are the things that they want to focus on? Do they want to incorporate objective sleep monitoring? Some really gravitate towards that. Others don't really feel inclined to to need to do that and really want to work on other aspects that we know are going to build better habits long term. Mm-hmm. Um, and what are the what are the goals that they want to accomplish too with their sleep? You know. I see also this shift with some of the younger athletes, I would say, even in the last couple of years, say the minor league players that are coming up into the major league players, many of them are, I think, more in in tune with actually some of the newer research and some of the sports science than I would say some of the veteran players have been just because that's just a shift, I think, in um, training and in what we're what we're integrating at a, at a younger and earlier level, right? They're already yeah. excited and wanting to do more in the sports science, and whether that's objective monitoring or whether that's just recognizing and understanding that they have to incorporate other recovery modalities, and sleep is one component of that. It's already hmm. kind of in their baseline, which I think is a very different conversation sometimes than other players who have been in the leagues and have found a lot of success, and you're now trying to <laughs> also convince them that hey, this sleep and recovery thing might also be beneficial to them um, in addition to what they've already done and found to have a lot of success in the past. Yeah, it, it really is. It's just so incredible. I mean, we know so much about nutrition. We know so much about training. The fact that at that level where you're trying to eke out every type of possible advantage, both as an individual, just given the stakes that are on the line, the, the fact that like there still needs to be an education as to why this matters is just, I mean, I think in itself, so interesting. Um, so, you know, when you're trying to get someone set up on kind of like an, an optimal, I mean, maybe sleep schedule is even just one component of it. I guess, what are the certain like areas of sleep that you're assessing where you're looking for areas of improvement? There's a couple of different areas. So you hit on the sleep schedule or the timing of their sleep, but that's just one yeah. bucket. There's a couple other books I look at. Sleep duration is obviously key. And I think a lot of folks focus on sleep duration just because we feel like it's a little bit more controllable about when we go to bed and what time we wake up. But the reality is we often are not sleeping during that full duration that we're attempting to sleep at nighttime. But duration is going to be critical and evaluating if they're at least meeting the threshold of seven hours. Mm -hmm. Arguably, many of us, um, you know, do really recommend eight to 10 hours for elite athletes um, because we recognize that there's... Right, exactly. There's a lot more physiological demand. And then also I account for the fact that a lot of athletes will say they get, say, eight hours of sleep. But if you objectively look at the quantification of their sleep, it tends to be less. So sometimes that's mm. seven and a half or seven hours. In addition to, again, most of us have accumulated sleep debt. So we need to start to pay that back little by little. So trying to even get closer into the range of, say, that eight to the nine is going to be more beneficial than I think hovering closer to that seven hour mark. So uh. there's that. that's the 
sleep duration. And again, it's all about okay. small steps. So it's not about going from six hours and then suddenly jumping to 10, right? It's about, mm-hmm. let's try to get you to seven. Can we get you from seven to seven and a half this week? Can we try to challenge you to get to eight for like this month, right? And it's all about those small steps and you you will make gains and people will start to connect the dots and recognize how that additional change affects kind of their day to day and usually are more willing to then take on additional challenges in terms of how to improve their sleep. So then the second Mm. bucket is really about sleep quality, right? There's a lot of different factors that go into quality of rest. But for example, I'll I'll evaluate in regards to caffeine, um, alcohol consumption, Mm-hmm. Caffeine is going to keep you up at night, um, depending on when you consume caffeine. Uh, the half-life is about six hours. So even having something at dinner time very much can affect your sleep. Alcohol, obviously, uh, it can help you fall asleep, <laughs> but it also very much can fragment your rest. And so it can cause you to wake up a lot during the nighttime and feel more tired throughout the day. So um, not a lot of people always are making wise choices on when they're consuming alcohol. Um, how's their hyd- regular hydration status? So some athletes will not mm. hydrate well throughout the day and then chug a lot of water right before bed and then wake up multiple times during the nighttime. Yeah. Um, so those are some of the easier fixes. Um, you want to hydrate well through the day, but then also minimize some of that fluid towards the end of the nighttime. Um, mm. Is there, you know, do they have an approach to sleep? So do they have a wind down routine? That's one of the easiest and um, best recommendations I can make because so many of us don't have a transition period from the busyness of our day to actually preparing our bodies to sleep. And that's what I found to be one of the most important Uh, triggers is that as soon as athletes can start to understand that they can prepare to recover and that they're preparing to still get work done at nighttime, so to say, that's when they start to start to connect those dots that their day is not done as soon as they walk out of the gym or out of the training facility. There's still important work to be done during the nighttime and they can actually prepare. So it's just like you prepare to go out into the field with training or you stretch and you do a lot of other, um, you know, you work prior to getting out onto the field to train. Same thing. You can prepare yourself to sleep and, and have the best success leading up to your the time that you're going to go to bed. Um, so do you have a I wind love, down love, routine? And I love that example too. And I just, uh, I feel like that's so important because I, I have to imagine a lot of this is just for athletes and just people in general, like there's an, a needed shift in perspective. And I think what you said, there's a lot of work to be done. It, it kind of just helps it, uh, it becomes a little more clear that like this is not just downtime or this is not dead time that you can chip away at so that you can fit in all these other things you're trying to do. Like this is such an important piece of like the work that you're doing. Uh, so yeah, I just, I, I love, I love that soundbite. I think that's a great way to approach it. Um, and so I, I apologize. I'm cutting you off from your buckets. No, that's fine. Yeah. Work to be done at nighttime. You're still doing work, not in, um, in the same sense, but important that it's going to give you yourself the foundation so that you can go out and do the physical training and what needs to get done on the field the following day. Mm, If you're not giving yourself that proper recovery time, then you're just going to be, um, at a deficit, right? Um, cause yep. you have to charge your body, your, you know, your batteries at nighttime. And if you're only going to charge it up 60% with, you know, six hours of sleep, then you're going to run out a lot faster. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Do you have a wind down routine, whether that's reading or deep breathing exercises? Um, I have a lot of athletes do meditation, uh, oh, or okay. sometimes, 
And for those that have a racing mind, which is a very common issue for a lot of athletes, and I have them even do like foam rolling and stretching prior to their wind down routine. So ah. all those things will factor into the quality of rest as well as, for example, your sleep environment. So make it like a cave, really dark, quiet, cool, and comfortable. You want to aim for mm. 60 to 67 degrees, but you can knock down that temperature. You're starting at like 70 every couple of days. Blackout currents is going to be ideal to block out the light. Um, your environment very much can affect your sleep. And especially if you're in the summer months, the temperature can um, really cause more disrupted sleep at nighttime. So there's so there's six, more that goes into that quality. Six, six zero to 67? Six zero to six seven. Oh, Correct. Man. Sixty to six you, eight. It sounds very cold, right? So my wife's not gonna like this. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, don't freeze out the, the bed partner, please. <laughs> so start at a reasonable temperature that you're used All to right. and then slowly decrease a, a degree or two. Um, I heard sixty. Yeah. <laughs> no, one thing though, no, right. one one actual <laughs> practical tip that I've I've actually had to share with some athletes uh, because they have a bed partner who likes a different temperature. You can yeah. actually do like two different comforters so that has worked for some of my athletes. So that mm. if you like different temperature regulation, um, that allows then for preferences to be better controlled. Yeah, and uh, and I, again, I know I'm, I'm breaking up your flow here, but do, do you even get into everything from like the type of mattress, the comforter? Like, does it does it get that granular? Yes, it definitely can. I also look at how they're sleeping on the road versus at home, and oh yeah, you know, you, thinking about, I'm sure you've experienced a poor night of sleep at on the road at some point or in a hotel, I do think that your, your pillow preferences can make a difference, especially if you're a mm. pro athlete that's on the road all the time. Um, if you wake up with a terrible night of sleep and cranked your neck, that's not going to be great for you going out onto the field. So I, I oftentimes have like my athletes even travel with their own pillows um, yeah. to, to make sure that that's like a controlled uh, environment as much as possible, because we know you're going to be at very different environments throughout the whole season. So I do get into, Absolutely. I think details matter. And I think they add up over a whole season. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think the, the, the kind of recurring theme I'm hearing is, and this has come up quite a few times, but it's like consistency over an extended amount of time is what uh, is really going to be advantageous. Exactly. So, I think that comes up too in, in emphasizing to athletes that we're all going to have a bad night's sleep here or there, and that's going to be okay. Um, I've had some athletes sort of stress out about a really bad night of sleep or if they mm. had an objective monitor, they were seeing poor numbers return that that night after and were very concerned that that was going to affect how they played. And, and in those scenarios, you know, I think it's just good to step back and say, you know, hey, we're all going to have a rough night of sleep here and there and it's going to be okay. What matters more is how did you sleep this week leading up into this important event or game? What did we do in the last month? How, how have we prepared you in the regular season, um, you know, in advance of this so that yes, when you experience a poor night, then we can at least take another tool out of the tool belt and try to um, prevent that from happening a subsequent night. But, you know, that's more important than just one night in isolation. Yeah. And that's one of the, I mean, wearable technology is, is constantly evolving, but that is, um, you know, regardless of how accurate some of these things are, I have heard that kind of positioned as a potential, uh, negative consequence of all this detailed monitoring of every aspect of our lives is it can actually be a source of anxiety. Um, so maybe, you know, if we could really quickly, and I know we were catching it before, we could talk probably an entire hour just about wearable technology alone, but um, it sounds like you are using wearable technology with some of the athletes that you work with. 
Um, is this is this a sort of wearable technology that's available like on the retail market? Like, you know, the, the common sleep tools uh, or trackers that the average person's aware of? Or are you using something um, that I suppose might be like a bit more accurate? Sure. So objective monitoring, I think, is approached very differently dependent on the individual athlete or on the organization. So um, there's a spectrum of wearables that are used in pro sport. Um, I use everything from research grade technology to Mm. some of the consumer wearable technology because that was the preference of, say, an athlete already using it or an organization that had already been using that platform. Um, And, you know, I think the there is, you know, wide spectrum accuracy and validation for these products, but more importantly is how are you using that information and what is the purpose of it, right? If it's to capture, you know, just a general sense of how an athlete is sleeping and their patterns, whether it's shifting drastically, um, you know, due to their, their sleep and wake schedule, um, you know, are we using it really just to get a, a, a better sense of their sleep patterns, then that can be a very useful tool. Um, and does it give the athlete some information on a daily basis that they find helpful to have as some feedback? Again, you have to balance that with some potential negative effects if, if um, you know, they're really focused on those numbers and, and they, you know, are stressed when those numbers are not ideal. Um, yeah. But, you know, the way in which you use that information, I think, is more important, you know, versus like, are you trying to use this for research purposes? And obviously, we're using research grade um, equipment for that purpose. Yeah. And so is, is that where you're you're getting a lot of that? Because uh, we, we talked about quantity, right? Quantity is important, but then quality is kind of like that deeper level is like, hey, look, it's it's it, it's important to go beyond just uh, how long were you lying in bed, right? It's understanding all the things that are actually happening while you're sleeping. Um, is the quality being tracked primarily with like this research grade tracking technology or is some of that like actually like qualitative, like self-reported, like how do you feel? I guess, and I guess maybe I'm actually asking from a place of like for the average person who doesn't have access to someone who's going to help them track their sleep, like what are maybe some of the things that they can start to pay attention to? Sure. So quality um, has uh, various definitions. One for one one way to look at that, just specifically with awakenings, is that the total amount of time that you should be awake during the whole night in total. So if you have multiple awakenings during the night, you go to the bathroom twice and you go back to bed, and it's five minutes each time. It's the total amount of that time should be less than thirty minutes. So that's kind of just a, mm. a benchmark for everyone to aim for. That you know, if you're awakened up a couple times going back to bed, not a problem. If you're regularly up in bed for, you know, 45 minutes, an hour, two hours, that's probably a place in which we would want to like readdress why you're having these awakenings and not able to fall back asleep from a quality standpoint. Um, At the pro level, it depends on, again, the organization or or the athlete and how they look at quality. Um, We can see some of the objective quality measures through objective monitoring. Um, Either subjective reports are also important and then it can depend, um, you know, on what their their lifestyle behavioral habits are, right? Like, so things 
things like, again, caffeine and alcohol, some of their nutrition can also potentially affect um, their sleep, where they're traveling from, what environments there are, are they in the off season versus regular season, those things can also affect like their quality measures. But um, I think more importantly, the objective monitoring is actually most helpful for looking at these bigger picture shifts in their sleep patterns. And then Mm. they're, they're generally more accurate in terms of sleep duration. So looking at approximate bedtime, wake time in the amount during the nighttime is what I tend to use it a little bit more so than necessarily relying on um, some of the measures for specific sleep staging. Um, yeah. No, that that is helpful. And if I may ask, and you can tell me that, uh, Ken, this is too personal, but do, are you tracking your own sleep? I have on and off. <laughs> ah, okay. I, I, am, um, I am a fan of, of generally the wearable technology, you know, I am positioned here living in the Silicon Valley, you know, it's a really unique environment. I get exposed to a lot of the up and coming technologies. And, you know, when I started doing some of this work back in 2007, um, you know, we really only had research grade technology and it's not the best in terms of the user interface or for an athlete to be able to see that information on a regular basis. I think looking at the trends is again, more important for the athlete than the the individual night. Um, But, uh, you know, I I think that I've gone to experience some of the the evolution of the sleep technology. Um, And so I do definitely on and off track what it is night to night. Not every single night do I do it, but um, that's because I feel like I've gotten a sense of what my trend has been. And I don't necessarily feel like I need that necessarily every single night. But I I do think in general, when someone is first trying to understand a little bit more about their sleep and interested in trying to make some changes, um, some of the objective monitoring can be helpful just to help someone connect the dots to recognize what happens at nighttime and then how they feel or how they train and the effects during the daytime. And it doesn't have to be using objective monitoring and wearables, mm. even as simple as writing a sleep journal uh, just on a pen and paper. What was your bedtime? What was your wake time? And actually keeping that log is actually very informative. And I think most people are very surprised when they physically have to write it down how much it's not what they thought it was when they look back. Is it more the duration is not what most people expect or is it just like the sporadic nature that most people? ah. It's both. I think most people often overestimate how much they're sleeping. Okay. And then tend to also um, have more erratic schedules than they might expect. Ah, okay. Yeah. It's, it's the erratic schedule that's been getting me lately. And again, we've got a bunch of young kids and Mm -hmm. they don't, they don't quite care how much I sleep. So. And this time Uh, is like kind of interesting too with COVID. So what we are seeing with difference in schedules um, by some of my colleagues are starting to look at COVID trends in the last couple of months is that with work from home, it seems that there's less of that social jet lag that we were talking about earlier, where the, the schedule actually is a little bit more consistent than you would expect on a typical Monday to Friday work week. And then, you know, your home life Saturday and Sunday for a lot of working individuals. So there's less of that shift but people have worse sleep quality, which I think for many, oh, understandably, yeah, and during this time period are having a lot of additional stressors and dealing with yeah. loss and dealing with uncertainty and um, social economic issues. And so um, the quality seems to be worse despite people having less of a shifted schedule. So hmm. that can also be, again, specific to this time point, but something that we are all working through together. Yeah, all experiencing together. And it's funny, I think um, my entire 20s was nothing but social jet lag. So that probably explains a lot of what went on at that time. Uh, Okay, maybe we can, I I just, this just came up. 
I was just thinking about it uh, specifically, you know, kind of within the arena of sport, uh, this idea of chronotypes, maybe this can kind of be just the last point we hit. Um, but I guess, I guess the, the first question should be, you know, does chronotype impact, uh, athletic performance? Is that something that's generally accepted? Is, is there still research to be done on that topic? Sure. So chronotype referring to there's a predilection for a lot of us to either be a morning lark or an evening owl in the sense of mm. having more alertness and um, at certain points in the day that might be different uh, from one chronotype to the other chronotype. And um, I guess maybe the, the first question then is like, is that accurate? Yes. So there, there has okay. been, <laughs> yes, there has there been a, um, a predilection to be one, one chronotype. Um, there's some in kind of this middle chronotype and then kind of more towards the evening chronotype. And I'm sure we all kind yeah. of have an innate sense of what that is for ourselves. If, um, but it can also potentially, um, be very much influenced by our social behaviors, right? So for example, mm. Um, I'm naturally a night person, but because okay. of my hat that I wear, some you know, I'm also a physician, so I'm forced to wake up quite early. And so because of that, you know, I'm, I'm having to be on a more of a morning lark chronotype. Um, so it can very much be influenced by your social activities and, and the type of schedule that you set yourself on. Uh, okay. But despite you can have obviously your innate chronotype. Now that can, you know, have some um, impact on for elite athletes and when they may want to select to train. Uh, very much so that you may want to select different times that are fit within your chronotype. Uh, So like a night person is going to want to train potentially in a later period than say a morning lark would. But Hmm. I think this is also tricky because then that influences when are you actually competing, which often is not as malleable, right? It's usually a set time that everyone is going to have to compete regardless of your chronotype. So I think one factor then to consider in that scenario is also just keeping in mind what your, what time you'll be trained, what time you'll be competing so that you can also potentially align if you have the ability in your schedule to, to match that so it's synchronized because I've seen sometimes um you know athletes often training at a very different time than they will actually compete uh and that's one thing I know just as one example um in in like the Rio Olympics it was you Mm. know a really big issue in terms of how teams were going to train for swim finals because the swim finals were occurring at around midnight which is when athletes should be sleeping and so there was this big question of how to lead up to the Rio Olympics and how to shift everyone's training schedule and shift their circadian rhythm so they would actually be peaking in their performance around midnight and not in their typical um, you know, earlier, obviously in the daytime, because peak performance in a normal 24 hours is, is in the late afternoon to evening period. And that's when performance is best. That's when world records are broken. And so it was really interesting to see different countries um, kind of approach this uh, somewhat similarly, but also just knowing that they had to shift entire uh, schedules in the weeks leading into those Rio Olympics. So very much so you have to keep in mind the time in which is ultimately going to matter. Yeah, well, and it's like, I mean, just even this last week, I think the Tennessee Titans, I think they kicked off at like 1020 Eastern time. And I was like, you know, that's 920 their time, typically. Like, that's crazy to me. Mm-hmm. And, and some of these, some of the, yeah, some of these NBA games in the bubble are starting after nine o'clock on the East Coast. And I'm like, that can't be setting these guys up for success, especially those who likely, you know, I imagine there's a good chunk of those guys who are morning people. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it seems like it's fighting their physiology to have to be asked to do that. And I was wondering if at the professional level, like one, I guess I hopefully they would start to take that into consideration from a schedule standpoint. But I wonder, does it even get so advanced to where like the team itself is aware of what players kind of have a specific, uh, you know, predilection? Uh, and are they taking that into consideration with like who they're playing? Mm-hmm. I, all good questions. I think that um, it's harder, obviously, and more challenging in a team-based sport like football and with an entire roster to be able to tease apart the chronotype and then adjust the training schedules because they often are just very set um, in kind of the, the typical training kind of hours during the daytime. Um, but I think it's easier on an individual athlete level, right? If you're a marathon runner or you're um, someone who does more individual training to manipulate potentially some of your scheduling to match what you would do when it comes to your event time. Um, I I think you have great, (laughs) you have great foresight that those are things that should be coming down the road. But I think that, Mm. um, you know, we're still trying to even get most of a team on board with recognizing that, you know, this is an important component that they should individually be focused on even nailing just the duration and making, you know, some progress on the quality. And and then once we can get at a more granular level, definitely that's when it gets really fun with the athletes that are fascinated with the research. And, and if they do off season training, those are the conversations that I have with them of trying to do things on a more individualized level that is going to be preferential to how they would best train. Ah, very cool. This has just been uh, so interesting, and I'm sure if allowed, I could probably ask you questions for another two hours, but uh, I think people are certainly going to take a lot away from this one. Um, for people who would actually like to follow the work that you're doing, is there anywhere that we can kind of follow along, any any social channels? Definitely. So the best way to follow my work and some of the, the projects that I'm involved in is Twitter. My handle is Sherry underscore ma so that's c-h-e-r-i underscore m-a-h and then it's the same handle for instagram and if there's any other questions you can also email me my emails sherry ma at stanford alumni.org awesome okay cool yeah we'll make all those available in the show notes i think people will love to track what you're doing uh no pun intended well this has been wonderful Thank you. We'll have to have you back in the future. Uh, and so I, I'll be interested uh, to see kind of what comes out of this whole bubble scenario and to see if there is any interesting learnings that uh, eventually we take away from that. Because it's just, I mean, what a, what, I don't think anyone ever thought there'd be an opportunity to see what happens if you get the world's best athletes to literally live in a bubble <laughs> for months on end. It's a very fascinating scenario. I went, yeah, it will be interesting to see what comes out of this and what next season looks like. But uh, for the time being, it has been a very interesting um, uh, season so far. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for joining. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks. I hope you sleep well tonight. Then, mommy. You better go ask mommy, daddy. <laughs> I think the sleep podcasts are like always up there for me as my favorites. Yeah. Because it's such an essential part of everyone's day. It is. And it's almost like this unrealistic vision. (laughs) Like (laughs) it's like, uh, I don't know, a goal or like some like ideal state that I would love to us to get to that feels very attainable. Yeah. But it's just like so easy to make little mistakes here and there and screw it all up for ourselves. Well, it's really hard with kids. I feel like anyone who has kids is like, yeah, it's freaking really hard. Yeah. But then again, like everyone, 
a lot of, like most people eventually have kids and we can't use it as an excuse. I know. And that's, yeah, that's fair too. And it's, um, I agree with that also. That is a really important point, but it's like, it's hard enough to get them on a good sleep schedule mm-hmm. and then to like, actually, you know what? Let's jump ahead because you said this and I think that's a really good point. Uh, I'm going to jump right into the takeaways. Do it. And then I'm going to jump into something personal. I've been holding a grudge against you now for a few days. Oh God. You're... And I feel like. Maybe, air it all out, Kenny. And I feel like actually on this podcast is probably the best place to air it out. Yeah. A, a relationship specialist is listening. He's like, no, no. This is a mistake. Handle behind closed doors. Now we're going to air it out with everyone. Uh, prepare to recover is what I wrote down. Yeah. You wrote down wind down routine. Yeah. But I th- I think the way you described it makes so much sense. Do you want to talk about it in? Uh, sure. Yeah. Wait, what, why, what bone do you have to pick? No, no, no. It? We're going to get that after. Okay. Let's get you started on the right foot, feeling good. I'm throwing you an alley-oop. You're going to knock this takeaway out. I'm going to drop the mood slightly by bringing up a grudge, and then we're going to finish strong with two takeaways. Okay. Not rehearsed, though. Okay. No. (laughs) (laughs) What's rehearsed? My grudge? Oh, I've been rehearsing that for days. (laughs) Okay. In the shower. In front of the mirror. Okay, well, the wind down thing, I just, like we've, we've talked about before how we've had to, with our third baby, hire a sleep specialist to get him sleeping at night because he just was not sleeping. And one of the biggest things that she told us we have to start doing is, and she even used the words wind down, like yeah. we need to have a routine to get him to wind down at night, whether the, and it like, ours is this whole thing, like whether. Yeah, it's a whole thing. Yeah, it's and like the. To not steal your thunder, like it worked. Yeah, it really worked. (laughs) Incredibly. Yeah. So then I was thinking, like when I heard her say it, I was like, well, duh. We just paid someone all this money to tell us that's what our baby needed. And we never thought once maybe we need something like that too. And we kind of in some Mm. ways have a little bit of our routine, but we don't like his his routine's like scientific. It's the same exact verses of the Mm. same exact song and like it's yeah. everything. Nothing ever changes unless we're like same time. Yeah. Doing something right other than the norm. But it's with like every time it's like clockwork. Yeah, I agree. And it is one of those things that it should be really obvious, but it's not easy to implement yeah. necessarily. It actually shouldn't be that difficult. It's more like I'll tell you what it is for me on a day where it's like we've been grinding it out for whatever reason and it was just long and then we get our kids down and like we finally have some time to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I don't want to like put a bow on the day. I'm like, let's <laughs> just like, I like that. Let's just like drag out these next few hours. Let's do something fun. Like let's just mm-hmm. watch TV, mm-hmm. which I think is important, but it's easy to like do that to the point where it just completely blows up any nighttime routine we could have had. Yeah. It's like, oh man, now it's like 1030, 1045. I need to just go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree. And I love the way she said it. Uh, and now I'm of course forgetting the way she said it. What I wrote down was like prepare to recover. Yeah. And it's about like shifting the perception, like the same work. If you're an athlete, you know, the same work you're putting in at the gym, into your nutrition, like you need to treat recovery the same way. Yeah. I have um, it written down work to be done at nighttime. That's what it was. Work to be done at nighttime. But it's so true. And like, mm-hmm. look, we're not professional athletes. We we have athletic goals and like, you know, fitness related things that we're working on. But just like for 
every day, like mental health, physical function and well-being, it's like we really need to treat sleep as like preparation and the recovery that enables us to do all those other things that we enjoy doing while we're awake at like the level that we want to be able to do them. Yeah, definitely. I thought that one was awesome. Uh, Oh, grudge. I have it written down here. Bring up grudge with Sonia. This actually... (laughs) You're a psychopath. This actually fits really well because it has to do in part with my caffeine habit. Oh God. Okay. Now I know what you're going to talk about. Oh yeah, baby. You, this is not like you've been harboring this grudge. You've been annoyed at me <laughs> openly. I, I've expressed this grudge a couple times and to loudly, you, but I feel yeah. like I feel like this is a good place to do it. So you are a very caring and sweet. Uh, I'll even say doting wife. Yeah. Butter me up. You're a wonderful person. People like you. They like being around you. Yeah. Uh, you did, however, make a mistake. You went to the grocery store and accidentally purchased decaf coffee. Why have de- I don't understand why they have decaf coffee at the store. Is that my fault or is that the store's fault? Well, it's a, it's your fault <laughs> um, because there's people who enjoy a good cup of joe without the buzz of caffeine. Some people like to wind down and they really love the taste. Oh, yeah. I don't get it. Okay. That's why it exists. But no, point taken. Okay. So you made one mistake. That's fine. I forgive you eventually. <laughs> uh, and to make up for that, you very sweetly immediately went to Amazon and ordered a three pack of one of my favorites, Bulletproof Coffee, to make up for it, uh-huh. which I was excited about. Of course, I went, I got my own bag of coffee in the meantime to hold me over. Um, but when I finally needed to, to break open into that Bulletproof, I discovered <laughs> that you once again ordered now a three pack of decaf coffee. You ordered decaf in bulk. Um <laughs> So I'm a little upset about that. What I thought was interesting and worth sharing is when I called you out on this, uh, and I don't want to like report any of this inaccurately, but your response, um, I believe was to blame me for not checking earlier that you ordered the decaf. I, so you actually had the three pack of decaf <laughs> on our counter for like a week. It was not on our counter. It was put away. It was on our counter for a few days and then I mm-hmm. finally put mm-hmm. it away because I was like, why hasn't he put this coffee away? It's his coffee. Okay. A couple inaccuracies there that I just want to clarify. <laughs> okay. uh, I put Go the coffee ahead. away. Yes. It after was, days. After days. So okay. you had your hands on the coffee. You're admitting that. <laughs> yes. I admit I feel like, that I had my I feel hands like this on is the coffee. Like a, one of those law movies where we're in court and you're like <laughs> admitting to something and I just won the case. <laughs> Like it was like an aha moment. <sighs> okay. You know what? You know, you know, in Legally Blonde <laughs> where he says that he's wearing Manola Blonde or, she, or he was like, don't you snap your Manola Blonde at me, little girl. And she's like, oh, <laughs> it was like a aha moment where she realized he was gay. So he couldn't have possibly been having an affair oh, with a woman. That, wow. was, that was my aha moment. You put your hands on the coffee. So and you could have very easily looked at it and gotten and seen it was decaf and gotten upset with you sooner. What, yeah. what would you have liked me to done? Yeah. Cause then it wouldn't, it, we, you wouldn't have been out of coffee. We could have mm. fixed the problem. I see before you were out of coffee. I see. So I need to double check your work then is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, I'm what in, you talk about yesterday's mistake. I'm in, I'm in trouble for not proofreading. What was yesterday's mistake? Was that me? The Venmo. <laughs> 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 to prove yeah, my and then well, yeah, okay, really quickly. Well, I don't know. Do you want to tell it, or can you tell it quickly, or do you want me to just just do it real this quick. point home? 
I'm not um, good at quickly telling stories. I am a little anal with details and following rules and directions. <laughs> and you are a bit more... Uh, laissez-faire? Sh- sh- okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's a nice way to put it. You're a little laissez-faire. So we are planning a trip for hopefully when the world <laughs> is no longer riddled with COVID. Uh, we had to put a down payment down. So we were collecting some funds from friends to cover this said down payment. And I've been pretty adamant that you got to be really careful with Venmo transactions. Probably, (laughs) it sounds like, to the point of annoyance. Fair? Fair. And (laughs) um, what did you do with said Venmo payment? I sent one of our friends the money instead of requesting it. A sizable amount of money on accident. I did that. That's what I did. A little bit of a problem. But uh, you've taken ownership for that and you fixed it. Yeah. So I've already moved past it. It's not like I sent it to a stranger who was unwilling to pay us back. Yes, it was not that bad. <laughs> it could have been. But yeah, I, sh- I should double check my work. You're Always right. double check our work. Okay, moving on. Point taken. <sighs> if Dr. Sherry Ma is listening, she's like, this is the show I did. <laughs> uh, but yeah, anyways, so decaf, that would be great at night, folks, because also Sherry said, do not drink too much caffeine or too much caffeine close to bed. That's how we tie it together. Uh, But when you can't have caffeine, oh, what? I was also going to say part of the um, wind down routine, we should really start doing our yoga again. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And also. The the yoga though, like sometimes it's like a hard workout. That's the only part about it. It's not, if it was just the ones that feel like stretching, I'm all in. Yeah. Well, we, I think we need a different. A different flow. No, our yoga instructor's fine. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> we'll find a new one. <laughs> okay. Um, so let's move on. Do you want to cover the power naps? Because I know you liked that one. Oh, yeah. No, I just thought, like, everyone always says, if you're going to take a nap, take a short one. Mm-hmm. But I never n- knew why. Yeah. And also, like, if I'm going to take a nap, I want it to be hours long. And then I do, without fail, always wake up. Feeling horrible. Feeling horrible. Yeah. I, I think that's a big piece of it. The other thing that she mentioned is, and, and whether it's, I think this is the other takeaway we're going to talk about, but like if you're trying to make up, say on the weekend for a week of bad sleep, like, yes, it's good to chip away at some of that sleep debt, but whatever you do, you don't want to do something that's going to like throw off your ability to get to bed at a regular time. Yeah. She said the best time to do it is in the, like after lunch, after mm-hmm. early afternoon, because that's when like your circadian rhythm takes a dip. Oh, look at you. Yeah. Yeah. And then like, you're not like really messing everything up. Like yep. you're, you're more likely to be able to fall asleep in that time. Right. And then it's not going to disrupt your sleep at night. Yeah. If you did like the cat nap, what I loved back to coffee the nappuccino. I knew you were going to call it the nappuccino. Well, that's what she called it. I believe that's a scientific term. We'll check Grey's yeah. Anatomy. Well, she just called it a caffeine nap, but I knew you were going to choose mm-hmm. to say nappuccino. Mm-hmm. I heard nappuccino. Yeah. So I tried this after talking to her because, again, we, I had one of those nights where, like, the kids didn't sleep. I don't remember how, but, like, I ended up getting up early that day because you've been up early the two days before. So, like, I was really tired, and I had actually podcasts to record later that evening, and I just knew they were not going to go well. And, uh, yeah, I was like, all right, I'm going to give the nappuccino a try. So I had some cold brew. I pounded it right before I was going to try and take a nap. I would say it took me a little while to fall asleep, but like, I swear to God, my alarm went off. I'm pretty sure I was out because that was way too fast for like that amount of time to have Mm -hmm. passed. And like when I woke up, I felt awesome. 
Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, and I was like, oh my God, I think it worked. Took a cold shower just to like... Yeah, you came down invigorated. Throw fuel on the fire. Super invigorated. Um, yeah, well, she said it should take you, unless you're like super exhausted and then that's not good, but it should take you 10 to 20 minutes every time you try to fall asleep to fall asleep. Yeah. Which I also thought was interesting because a lot of times we'll be like watching a show and I'll just pass out. Yeah, you're probably, you do not get enough sleep. No. 100%. <laughs> but I was also thinking like, you know, like whenever we're in church. I knew this is where you were going to go and I didn't know if I was allowed to go. Please, please continue. I am so glad you brought this up. When, when my parents are up, or like in the area, because they spent summers or summers up here and the winters in, um, in Florida. Yeah. But when my parents are up here, we go to church with them on the weekends. Mm-hmm. And every time I look over at my dad, he's taking a cat nap. <laughs> and I don't think I don't there's know. a ten minute grace period. I think he is like No, but then he'll down. be no then no, then he'll be up for like like when it's time to stand and then we're sitting that's like true. down and then he's taking another cat nap. Well that's what I mean though. I think he falls asleep <gasps> so quickly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I think it's a sign that like because he, he's an early riser. Yeah, he gets he up works early. hard all day. But like yeah. I think he's like absolutely a perfect sign that like he there might he might not be getting enough sleep at night because yeah. he falls asleep instantly. Yeah, he's, he closes his eyes and he's out. Like and then he was over <laughs> at our house for dinner the other night and he fell asleep and I was just like I I could never do that. I don't think I'm, sitting straight up. Sitting straight up, yeah. In the chair that he had dinner in. Yeah. It's actually really I'm envious. But that's a comfy chair. The church chairs are not comfy. No. I mean you couldn't Pews design are, a less yeah. comfortable chair. Pews are very uncomfortable. Uh yeah. I'm very envious of his ability. Like, I wish I could sleep on a plane like that. But mm-hmm. I also All think... All of my brothers can do that. All the men in my family can do but that. But I also think they're sleep deprived too. Oh, for sure. I'm making a strong assessment. They get up crazy early. They stay up late. Uh, yeah. Your brothers are out doing Lord knows what. So yeah, I think they're sleep deprived. Come on, Tony, <laughs> Joey, get some sleep, guys. We're worried about you over here. All right, last one. Sleep debt. I thought this because I've I've always kind of been curious about this because I've heard anecdotally folks say, you know, you can never make up for a bad night's sleep. Right. And I think they're always kind of referring to like sleep debt. It's not like you can have a bad night's sleep tonight and then sleep a little bit or sleep longer tomorrow and make up for it. It's like the damage is done. And I was like, man, that I, I don't understand that. I don't understand that either. That seems a little negative. Right, but, you know. Isn't that what napping's for? (laughs) Well, but it's like, again, I'm not even qualified to talk about it, but it always confused me. Um, And so this helped provide some clarity to me. Like, yes, sleep debt is a real thing. At a high level, though, over time, by making good changes and habits, you can start to chip away at that. Yeah. You know, so she said, like, no, it's not like you're carrying around, like, tens of thousands of hours of, like, sleep debt if you've been sleeping horribly for like three years, it's like if, if you were to start to make a positive change, like consistently over a period of time, eventually you would get back to a good place. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's not like some insurmountable thing, but I just thought the whole, uh, concept of sleep debt was really interesting. Yeah. It also makes me think, you know, I don't know. It just, it's just interesting to me the fact that we don't know that much about sleep yet and what like we kind of do understand is like the negative repercussions that come from lack of sleep. Mm-hmm. Like we're measuring, like I said, we're measuring symptoms, but we still don't have a great grasp on what's happening while we're actually doing it. Yeah. Which is just crazy. Yeah. That's so crazy. I thought we did. I thought I just didn't know. 
<laughs> no one knows. It's <laughs> wild to think about. Uh, that ties in a little bit to the idea of social jet lag. Oh, yeah. You want to talk about that? That's crazy. Well, I just uh, thought that was a cool term. It's so cool. It's so hip. Uh, <laughs> You're adoring. Am I just infuriating you today? <laughs> no. <laughs> You're funny. Uh, social jet lag, though. Yeah. Well, and I'm because I, when I, I, like I said in the podcast, I felt like I was asking a stupid question. Like, hey, if I've had poor sleep all week, should I try and catch up on sleep when I can? There is a limit to the extent that you should. You don't want to like mm-hmm. sleep in so much that you create the, this like jet lag effect yeah. for yourself. Throw off your rhythm. And I think I most people that I know probably are not aware of that or thinking about that. Yeah, most people do that. They do I know. That. I, we'll have guests and sometimes people will sleep till like 10 and I'm like, wow. Which is really frustrating because we're trying to provide a nice breakfast. <laughs> You know, it's like, come on, folks, get down in a timely manner. You know who you are. Kenny's hungry. <laughs> yeah. And I won't let him touch the food until you're awake. So. I'm hungry. Okay. Sometimes I'm out of coffee. <laughs> if I have to have decaf, I am fired up for all the wrong reasons. I wish that you just drank it and then I bet you wouldn't even notice that it was decaf. Oh, I'd notice. You say that now. Well, I don't know. Maybe we'll run a test. You say that now. All right. I think the people have had enough of our coffee talk. This was good, though. Yeah, this was good. It's nice to catch up with you. Yeah. God, we haven't talked in forever. Yeah. It's just been uh, a year of quarantine (laughs) attached at the hip, but we don't get to chat. Alrighty. Well, this is good. We've, uh, you know, we've got the next couple episodes coming down the pike in no particular order. We're going to be joined by Steve Calhoun, uh, a quarterback expert who I actually had the good fortune of working with when I was younger. He's doing some really awesome stuff. I can't wait for that one. Uh, we're also going to talk with Chris Corfist, a international spe- speed expert. That one was really good too. Uh, and he goes off on some really fun tangents. So if you're into cheetahs or U.S. history, I love don't cheetahs. miss <laughs> that one. You're going to be excited. So will my daughter. Um, but on that note, folks, thank you for listening. And we will see you next week. Hasta la vista. Baby. Was that French? Baby. Yes.